What is happening, everybody, and welcome to the Mountain Podcast. We are so glad you are with us. Today we have a very, very special episode for you, a sermon episode. Um, Sam kind of talked about it a couple weeks ago. He said, hey, I'm bringing somebody here, and that man is Pastor Tim Roberson. He's the former pastor of the Mountain Church at the time, Prayer Mountain. Um, He's now pastoring out in Carlsbad, California, and uh, is a businessman. Uh, he's been like a dad to me. He's an amazing guy. Can't wait for you to hear uh, a wonderful prophetic word that he is about to bring to you guys. Um, for those of you, this is your first time listening. We want to welcome you to the show. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe. That way you can get all content that is coming out of the mountain sermon related and discussion related in the future. We want to hear uh, your guys' feedback as well. What you want to hear, what what do you want to gain from this? This is all about you guys having what you need for the week. But I will stop talking and let Pastor Tim take it away. So PT, love you, bud. Y'all take it away, bro. Wow. Well, good morning, friends. How are you? Come on, let's give God praise this morning. Can we do that? Wow, what an amazing thing. Uh, Y'all changed some things up around this place. Looks good. I like it. I love this whole thing. It's very, very nice. Y'all did a good job. I'm very proud of you. Well, uh, I was sitting here figuring it out, looking at a calendar. Do you realize it was one year ago today? That was my last time I preached, exactly. And... uh, that's kind of crazy. I can't believe it's been a year, uh, but uh, we uh, made that change uh, to San Diego, and then I forgot to get the picture. I wanted to do this. Cheryl was going through some pictures at the house, and she found the picture that we spent um, our very first time and our first vacation in Carlsbad, California, and um, Cheryl was going through cancer at the time. You could actually see the port in, in her chest. And uh, uh, Joseph was, I don't know, very little. Kaylee was very little. And we were on the beach in Carlsbad. And uh, it was our very first time ever being there. And I remember us being on vacation in Carlsbad, Carlsbad going, if there's any way, God, I would love to live here someday. And that was our prayer. That's what we asked. Uh, that was 15 years ago. I don't know how long, 12 years ago, uh, when we were going through cancer with Cheryl. And uh, God gave us the desire of our heart. We live in Carlsbad. And Joseph actually surfs in the very water where that picture was taken. And uh, it's just amazing how God will give you the desires of your heart. And uh, and we, we've had a, just an amazing transition, an amazing uh, step into the business mountain. And uh, we've, we, we stepped out of full-time ministry for a season. And uh, we know that God has great things in store for us for the future. But this is the path that he wanted us to be on. We're growing and emerging as a, as a, as a, as a man in business and learning and growing, it's the most challenging year of my life. Come on, man. Very difficult, uh, but I, I see the hand of God in what he's doing in my life and cannot deny uh, the journey that he has us on. And my, my prayer is, is that you guys are on that journey as well. Amen? 
I want to get right into the message if I could. Um, I've got a little video I want to show you. And if, uh, if you'll go ahead and play that, Katie, or you might have saw this on Facebook. Look at his face. The next time, run it again if you could. I want you to look at his eyes. Look at his eyes when he comes. You got to see it. Look at his eyes. There he goes. He's going for it, going for it. And then right there, the discovery. Oh, I didn't make it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Stand up for me real quick. I'm going to ask you to do something. <clears throat> I, want you to, uh, I want you to raise your hands just as high as they can go right now. Just as high as I can go right now. Just raise your hands just as high as I can go. I want you to look around as you do this. Just as high as I can go. Now look around as I ask you to do this. Just as high as I can go. All right, now raise them higher. Raise them higher. Raise them higher. Look around. Fantastic. Fantastic. Take a seat real quick. Every single person, when I said, when I asked you to raise your hands as high as they could go, you raised them. And then when I said, raise them higher, every single one of you in this room raised your hands higher. And this is a corporate prophetic word for this body. This is the corporate prophetic word. That as high as you have gone, there's more that God has for you. There's another higher that the Father has for you here at Prayer Mountain. Just when you think you couldn't get any higher, there's a measure that God wants to bring to you that's beyond yourself, beyond your capability, beyond the promise that you already believe in. There's more to the promise. Come on, friends. And I want to encourage you in that. Today, we're going to talk about a very, very powerful man of God in the Scripture. His name's Nehemiah. And in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful miracles in the Word of God. Nehemiah was a a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And actually, quite interestingly, his name, Nehemiah, literally means grace is on me. Isn't that awesome, friends? It's incredible. So here we have Nehemiah as a cupbearer to the king in a season in a time when Jerusalem was in shreds, it was horrible. The, the, God's people had spent 70 years in exile, and now God's people are back in Jerusalem. And they're worshiping there, and worship is good, but the walls of the city are in massive disarray. The walls of the city are uh, just a, a pile of ashes, And as a result of that, there's no fluidity in the community. There's no fluidity. There's no peace in the city because all around Jerusalem are enemies. And the enemies of Jerusalem are literally plundering that that city, even though God's people are back into the community, even though worship is happening, the walls of the city are torn down. And as a result of that, there's still disarray. There's still... Uh, issues and concerns. Nehemiah gets word of this and he wants to do something about it. And that's what I want to talk to you about just a little bit uh, for this morning. I want to tell you that, that it is important 
that a community identify walls around its identity. And I want to talk about the walls around this community. I want to talk about how we establish those walls. And I want to talk about how those walls begin to be built around this community. I tell you what, I, I, I know that Samuel spoke highly of me just a few minutes ago, but I could take the rest of the service to tell you what I think about this amazing couple. This amazing couple have, they've done so many amazing and great things. And I've watched this young man grow and I've watched this relationship get established. I, I got to see this beautiful uh, union of love in this marriage come together. I, I got to see this young man come. I remember when I met him for the first time, he was on his first Nazarite vow. And I remember meeting Paul and Denise when they invited us to, to, uh, to dinner. We were talking about coming to ICLV for the first time. We were at the Cheesecake Factory, and he was talking to me about taking youth ministry at the time at the main campus. And this red-headed, bushy-beard kid showed up. And he was like, I think he needed money from dad at the time. He didn't even stay for dinner. He just was hanging out with us for a few minutes. And this kid came up with the biggest beard I've ever seen in my life. And, and I met him, and I, and, I, and, and I was so impressed with him at the time. And uh, Denise explained to me that he was on a Nazarite vow. And I was like, man, that's really cool. I mean, it's really awesome. Already committed to the Lord and all of that great stuff. And then when I took the position and finally found my place here at ICLV at the main campus at Summerlin, Samuel was making that transition and that change into uh, leaving college and coming home to help dad and partner with his father uh, in, the, in this great ministry. And I've had the privilege of seeing this man grow and emerge into the man of God that he's been called to be. And now he's here at the mountain. And he's here as a leader. And he's here establishing a culture, a culture of family, a culture of community. And around this culture, there needs to be walls that protect the culture. In, in society, we... Uh, or in the real world, we, we can easily allow the enemy to bring up false walls. Come on. Walls of bitterness, walls of shame, walls of condemnation that cause us to be more isolated than we should be. But then there are healthy walls that need to be established that create the culture uh, that, that, excuse me, allow the culture to be established into a thriving culture that begins to see incredible rapid growth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when Nehemiah came and he established these walls around the city, and the reason why I call it a miracle is that these walls were built in 52 days. I want you to think about that for a second. Remember what we're talking about thousands of years ago, no bulldozers, come on friends, nothing like that. Hands, baby, hands to the plow, come on. And these guys built these walls with the power of God. And as a result of that, the economic climate of Jerusalem began to shift and change. The enemy could not come in and plunder or take away or steal or grab. Come on. And as a result of those walls being established, the identity of Jerusalem began to be resurrected again. And I don't have time to go into the story, but if you'll study Nehemiah and you'll study what happens after Nehemiah, you see the growth of, of a great city once again.
So let's take a few minutes and let's talk about something. The very thing that started Nehemiah's passion is found, if you would please, turn very quickly to Nehemiah chapter 1. And it's found in in verse 4, and I want to take just a few minutes and talk about this. Nehemiah says this, this is his words in verse 4 of Nehemiah 1. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah heard that the walls had been destroyed. And for some days he wept. I feel like that verse 4 is a very powerful verse and it's the pivotal verse of the entire book. Because something happened with Nehemiah. Nehemiah developed a heart cry for something greater than he had seen before. Something greater in him than he'd ever experienced before. Nehemiah experienced a heart cry. Something was shaking and shifting inside of him. He saw something that was indecent. He saw something that was out of order. He saw something that was dysfunctional and it broke his heart. It broke his heart. And as a result of that, he wept and he cried and he mourned and he fasted for days. Come on, friends. Today I'm asking you, what is your heart cry? What is your heart cry? What is the thing that you are mourning and fasting about? What is the thing that is causing you to cry and to weep? What is the thing that God is showing you that the enemy is manipulating? Come on, friends. That the enemy is manipulating. But what is, what, what is the thing that God is showing you? The thing that you are supposed to be a part of. The, the thing that you are supposed to change. The thing that you are supposed to shake awake. The thing that you are supposed to be a part of. Come on. What is your heart cry? You know, if we had a few minutes, we, we could open up this mic and every single one of you could tell a story. Every single one of you could tell a story of where you've been and what's happened to you. Every single one of us has a story of an event that's taken place in our life. I could tell you the story of my childhood and I could get you to cry and I could stir some things up about my life and what I've been through and the house that I grew up in and the, and, uh, the dysfunctional parental authorities that I had in my life at the time. You know, we're not you know, that basically abandoned us. I could tell you that story. But let me tell you something. That event that happened in my life is in my past. The story that I tell keeps that event alive. I'm going to say it again. That event that happened in my life happened in the past. It happened a long time ago. The story I tell about that event keeps it alive. And there's a story that the enemy wants you to tell about your event in your life. And the enemy wants you to tell that story from a place of brokenness, from a place of abandonment from the place of failure, from the place of weakness, the enemy wants you to tell that story. The enemy doesn't want you 
to get a heart cry from that story. And the enemy wants you to tell that story. Can you imagine Nehemiah walking around telling the story of, of his city being broken, of his people being exiled? Can you imagine Nehemiah telling the story and never adding to the story? You see, every single event that you've been in in your life, God was with you in it. Everything that's taken place in your life, God was with you in it. He grieved as much as you grieved. He was broken as much as you were broken. He was saddened about it as much as you were saddened. But let me tell you something, friends. It's time to add to the story. It's time to add to your story. It's time for you to take responsibility and add to the story. Can you imagine Nehemiah going, wow, I'm part of God's people. Hey, bro, I love you. I didn't get to say hi to you because you were up there worshiping. But listen, I got to tell you something. You know, I don't know if you know what happened in Jerusalem. You know, there's some people that are gathering in the church down there. But it's dead. It's dead. You know, the city's broken. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Surely... Surely, I can't do anything about it. Maybe somebody else will. Maybe someone else will. And we play the victim, don't we, sometimes? Oh, I'm preaching at myself today, so trust me. Trust me. We play the victim sometimes. But Nehemiah decided to do something. Nehemiah turned his story into a heart cry. Nehemiah turned his story into a heart cry. Let me give you a couple of points of what Nehemiah did here. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was just operating in a job. He was doing his function. It was a very important function. It was a, an important responsibility. He was operating in his daily action when he was interrupted by something that needed to happen and needed to change. He embraced it. He embraced the brokenness and he embraced the pain and he wanted to add to it. What was the identity of Nehemiah? Three observations I want to make. Number one, he knew his position in the Father. He knew his position in the Father. When he fasted and prayed, he began to talk to God. And we pick up what he says in verses 5 through 11. And for the sake of time, I want you just to read that on your own. But I want to pick out some observations in verse 5 and 11. This is his prayer. Number one, he recognizes the authority of God in his situation. He recognizes and he gives God glory and recognizes his authority. Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come on, friends. We have to recognize the authority of God. Why is it important for us to recognize the authority of God in our prayer and in our intercession with the things that we're challenged about, with our story? You know, is, does it, is, it, is it the fact that God doesn't know who he is? 
He knows who he is. So why is it important for us to declare to the authority of God? Because it reminds us of who he is. It reminds us of who he is. And we began, he began to pray and intercede. And he began to communicate. He began to declare the authority of God. And I want to encourage you today that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your story is, God's authority is greater than your story. And God's power and anointing is greater than the story that you're going through, than the issue that you're facing. And when we declare the praises of God, when we begin to communicate the praises of God, we are reminded of the God that we serve. He's sovereign, isn't he? Come on, friends. He's all-powerful, isn't he? Come on, you tell me what God is to you. Shout it out right now. Come on, shout it out. Come on, keep going, keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I can't hear you. Man, yeah. He's all of those things. He's all of those things. And Nehemiah, he started his prayer reminding himself of the authority of God. And then notice in verse 6, he prays day and night for this thing. He prays day and night for this thing. Friends, are you praying day and night for your story to be added to? Come on. Are you fasting and praying about your breakthrough? Are you fasting and praying about the addition to your story? Look in verse 7. He confesses sin. He confesses sin. Look in verse 7 real quick. He confesses sin. He says in verse 7, I repent for the sin of my household and my father's household. Look at that. He could have easily said, I wasn't here 70 years ago. I don't know what happened 70 years ago. I don't know what sin took place in the city 70 years ago. My family, my heritage, they're in exile. I, that's their fault. That's their mistake. That's their mistake. But what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah says, the buck stops here. I take responsibility. And if they couldn't repent for their sin, I'll repent for their sin. Look at that. Father, I repent for the sins of my father. Lord, I take responsibility. I repent for the sin in my own household. I repent. I stop. And I say the buck stops here. No more will I blame. No more will I whine. Come on. No more will I be bitter. No more will I shift. I take It stops right here here. It's over. It's done. Who's ever fault it was, that's fine. I'll take it right here. I take responsibility. It's done. What does that do? Where do we, where do we, where do we do with that sin? Do we carry it? Do we wear it? What does Nehemiah do? He takes that sin and he shifts it to the Father. He takes it and he gives it and he releases it to the Father. Some of us 
or in our own issue and our own circumstances by the choices that we have made. Not necessarily the choices that have been made before us. Some of the things that we're dealing with are a result of the choices that we have made. We take responsibility and we give it to the Father. Come on, freedom. We release that right now in Jesus' name. And right now in Jesus' name, I break the spirit of condemnation off of you right now in Jesus' name. I tear that down right now in Jesus' name. And I say that no more guilt, no more condemnation, no more sense of feeling worthless can stay or remain in Jesus' name. We shift that sin to the Father. Come on, friends. Don't you love that? He confesses sin. Look in verses 8 and 9. He uses the word of God in prayer to declare the Father's great promises over him. Look at that. Look in verses 8 and 9. He uses the promises of God. He brings back Moses. He says, hey, God, you remember Moses. You delivered Moses. You delivered the people through Moses. You remember that? You said to Moses, you said, son, if you, if you will gather, come on, if you will gather, I'll, if you will gather the people, I'll give them deliverance. And if they worship me, I'll keep gathering. But if they don't worship, I'll scatter them. Look at it, verses 8 and 9. What is Nehemiah saying here? He's saying, Nehemiah, he, Nehemiah's not saying Nehemiah. Nehemiah's saying, God. He's saying, God, I'm ready to gather. I'm ready to gather, and I'm holding your word accountable. You said that if we worshiped you, you would gather us again. You said that if we came back to you, you would come back to us. You said it, God. I am reminding you of your word. Isn't that powerful, friends? Isn't that awesome? And the promises of God's yes and amen are on your behalf as well. And when we take responsibility and we lay that down, we can take the promises of God that are in Scripture and we can remind the Father of the promises that he's given to us. And there's amazing, precious promises for each and every one of us in Scripture. Isn't that amazing? He understood his position in the Father. He understood it, and he went to prayer. He recognized the authority of God. He prays day and night. He confessed his sin. He uses the word of God in prayer to declare God's promises over him. In verse 11, I love this, he prays to prosper. It's okay to prosper. Come on, friends. He, he prays to prosper. God, add to me. Add to me. Grant favor to me. Is it okay to prosper, friends? Amen. So, number one, he understood his position in the Father, and so should we. Number two, I love this, he stayed committed to the process. He stayed committed to the process. And I want to point out a couple of things here. 
and verse 2, excuse me, verse 3 of chapter 2, Nehemiah was in front of the king. He was the cupbearer to the king. He's bringing comfort to the king just by doing his job, right? And in verse 3, he says, it says that he was terribly afraid. He was terribly afraid. Why? Because he was in the king's presence. And the king's presence should be all about the king's agenda. But yet there was a stirring and a shaking on the inside of him because I believe he knew he needed to say something. Somehow he knew he needed to say something. And if he didn't know he needed to say something, he was so broken and convicted that it was showing on his face. And his countenance needed to be the same in front of the king. It needed to be about the king's agenda. But his honesty and his sincerity, his brokenness was revealed to the king. Come on, friends. Sometimes, sometimes our breakthrough comes when we do it afraid. Sometimes our breakthrough comes when we do it afraid. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I don't deserve to be here. I've made mistakes. I have history. Maybe I can't be trusted. Friends, do it afraid. Get in the presence. Do it afraid. Nehemiah did it afraid. He was right there. He did it afraid. He was committed to the process. What was happening? He got rid of the word fine. Everybody say fine. Everybody say fine. And smile. You know, the fi- you know the fine word? You know what that is? When you're a hot mess on the inside, but you don't want anybody else to know about it. Struggling. Struggling coming to church. Struggling with your own story. Worried about your own story, wondering who knows about your story, wondering who's saying whatever, whatever about your story. Don't even know if you can trust anybody because you don't even trust yourself. And then you walk in the church and somebody says, how you doing? And you're like, fine. (laughs) Hey, brother. How's it going? How you doing? I'm fine. You're falling apart on the inside. Come on. Oh, would it be that the mountain would be a community. Come on, friends. Oh, would it be that the mountain would be a community where we can walk in and say, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Just letting you know I'm not okay. It's okay that you're not okay. Because you see, you have some Nehemiahs here that have built a wall. See, you have some Nehemiahs here that have done their due diligence. They're creating a culture of safety. They're creating a culture of love. They're creating a culture of transparency. They're creating a culture of what it, and and teaching us what it really truly means 
to be sons and daughters of the king. You see, I've listened to some of the podcasts too. See, the Nehemiahs are building the wall. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to come in and say, I'm a hot mess. Do it afraid. Well, what are they going to think about me? So, sometimes we think so low about ourselves. We're, the, we're, we're our own worst critics. We sometimes... We don't realize this, but we think more poorly of ourselves than just about anybody else will. So who cares what they know? It's okay. It's okay. Let's get, let's get rid of the F word. Let's get rid of it. Fine. I'm not okay. Nehemiah is in the presence of the king. He's not supposed to be sad in front of the king. That's not protocol. The king says, the king says, what is wrong with you? Nehemiah has a chance to go, nothing king, I'm fine. But what does Nehemiah say? It is not good king. I am broken and I'm torn to shreds. There's something happening to me. Then he pressed on to not only share of the brokenness and the sadness, he had the boldness to ask for favor from the king. I, that blows me away. To ask for favor from the king. King, I know I'm not supposed to be this way and I know I'm saddened and I, you know, I'm not fine, but hey, while I'm not fine, I ask that you give me favor to fix this thing. Jesus, I'm a hot mess. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I'm not integrous with some of my activity. I've not spoken the truth in my life. I've not done the best with what you've given me, Father. I've not been the person that I've needed to be. And Father, I confess that sin to you right now. I'm saddened for it. But Father, I call on the grace of God. I call on the love that you had for me. I call on you to do in your measure what I could never do in my own strength. I need your favor on my life. And without fail, God grants favor on you, friends. Friends, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been in your life. I don't care what kind of journey that you're on. I don't care if this is mistake 893 from three hours ago. There's grace for you. There's favor for you. There's strength and healing for you. And in a community that has proper walls, you can find that grace and favor right here in this place. Come on, friends. Do you see that? He did it afraid. And he called upon the favor of the king. But then he calls, 
calls upon the favor of the men in the city. The king grants him favor. He grants him the strength to say, go do what you got to do. Go for it. Go. Add to the story. And he goes and he tells the, the people of Jerusalem what he's doing in verse 18. He says, look, I've got favor from the king. We're going to do this together now, friends. The history is history. It's over. Look in verse 18. Don't have time to turn to it. It's over. And the men respond to Nehemiah. They listen to his story. They know of the brokenness. They know of the exile. They know of the pain. They know of the broken walls. They know of, of the constant, constant attack on the outside of the city. And Nehemiah, one man, goes in and says, Hey guys, I've got favor from daddy, from King Daddy up here. And I, I feel like we can do this. And the men began to rally. And they began to add to the story. They began to add to the story. They began to start building the wall. Don't you love that? They began to, to do it. You come in with your issue or your challenge. You call on upon the grace of God. You find forgiveness. You find strength. You begin adding to the story. You become a victor and not a victim. You begin adding to your own story. You begin to gather other sons and daughters with you. And that story begins to develop into a testimony. And that testimony begins to be established with the action of your life, the actions of a freed life, the actions of a life that are, that's full of grace and mercy, and that activity begins to change and emerge into an amazing, amazing culture shift that begins to change not only your perspective, but others around you. Come on, friends. Well, that is going to do it for today here on the Mountain Podcast. As I said before, if you haven't already, make sure that you rate and review. Subscribe to the podcast so that you can get weekly content coming out of here. We love you guys. Thank you so much to Pastor Tim for joining us here at the Mountain. And uh, be on the lookout for a new discussion here coming out soon with Samuel and myself. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you later.